If you would open your Bible to the book of James, James chapter 5. You know, one of the things that I love about the book of James is it's, it's, it's black and white, but it's also filled with, with practical application of the way a Christian should live their life. It's very clear. Everything from uh, be hearers of the word, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. You know, he talks about uh, our, our faith has to have works with it. Not, it's not necessarily works. Our, our faith is, is what produces the works, the good works in us for the Lord. But he just over and over again is constantly giving us this idea of this is what your life should look like. This is what your life should look like. And if you're anything like me, as you read and study the book of James, you think, wow, I have a long way to go. But that's okay. We're not done yet. Because he promises to complete in us that good thing which he started. So he's still working on us. So if you found yourself studying through the book of James with us, and you find yourself going, well, I'm not quite there yet. That's okay. Keep working. Keep striving because we're not done. And this morning, as we open up James, and we finish up James, rather, he's going to kind of end with uh, some bullet points, if you will. He's going to kind of end with some situations or some, some circumstances you might find yourself in. He's going to talk about maybe you're suffering. He's going to talk about if you're cheerful. He's going to talk about, well, maybe you're, you're sick or you're, you're, uh, you're weary. Maybe he's, going to, he's also going to talk about if you're in sin this morning. Maybe you're struggling or you're, you're battling with sin. And he's also going to talk about those that have maybe sort of wandered away from the truth. Maybe you've been following the Lord and you've kind of started to wander a little bit. And as he closes out this book or this letter, as, he closes out this, as we close out this chapter, we're going to take a look at each one of those things and we're going to see that James as in his perfect character, addresses the situation, then gives us a clear, concise, short answer. And it's almost as if I could hear him saying, this is what you do, now go do it. This is what I've told you, now go do it. No, James, I want to think about it for a while. No, just go do it. That's what James would say. Go do it in your life. So here in chapter 5, verse 13, we pick up. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. You know, remember that he's writing to the believer. He's writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He's not writing to the unbelieving Christian, the unbeliever. He's writing to the Christian. He says, hey, if you're suffering, then you need to pray. Well, what does that word for suffering mean? It means if you're in pain, if you're in hardship, if you're distressed, if you're hurt by another, if you're emotional or physically if you're, if you're suffering, if there's some form of suffering, then it should cause you to immediately turn to God in prayer. Well, that's not what it always does. Usually when we suffer, we, well, we want to complain about it a little bit first. Or we want to tell somebody else so they can suffer alongside of us. Or we need to find, you know, we need to get, you know, misery loves company, right? So let's, let's get some help with this. We want to complain and we want to find somebody else or I want somebody to feel sorry for me so I'm going to put it on Facebook maybe or social media or I'm going to put it out on Twitter. If I'm suffering, life is bad. Life is hard for me right now as a Christian. Well, I like to compare my suffering to those that are abroad that are being martyred for their faith. I think of Pastor Saeed in prison over in Iran. I think that's suffering. You know, the fact that I don't feel good today, well, I, I feel fine, but if I don't feel good today, the fact that you don't feel good today, the fact that, you know, it's cold outside, the fact that there's little problems or little bumps in the road, I think, some, I think sometimes we, we overreact to suffering. I saw that displayed in my little girl this morning, or yesterday morning. 
She, she, she's so, you guys see her, Abby, she's so cute. Well, she came running upstairs. She was suffering. She was suffering because Luke had broke one of her toys. He had broke something. What, what, what toy was it, Luke? He, he doesn't even remember. He breaks so many. No. <laughs> Luke had broke something, and it wasn't a big deal, but it, and Abby came up, and she was just devastated. I mean, she was crying, and she was upset. And it, it, What was it? Did you figure it out? Yeah, it was a stick that she was playing with. Like a, it was like a flat stick or something. A piece of bamboo that she was playing with. That's all it was. Well, it, he broke it, and I think it was on accident. But she's all devastated about it. I mean, it's like the world is ending. And she's crying, Mommy, Luke broke my stick. Mommy, Luke broke my stick. And Rebecca looked over at me, and she goes, I wonder how many times we do that to God. Where we go to the Lord over this, Lord Jesus, you don't understand. My life's falling apart. I'm suffering down here. And he's going, it's okay. It's only a stick. It's not a big deal. We're going to get you through it. I'm here with you. We're going to move through this. It's okay. We can glue it back together. It's not a problem. I can get you another stick. I'll get you a better stick. No, my stick's broken. And it took her a while to get over her stick being broken. But it reminded me of how often that we do that to the Lord. We suffer and then we right away want to start complaining. But James is saying, don't complain. Pray. Pray. Then he says, is anyone cheerful? If anyone's cheerful, let him sing psalms or sing songs of praise. If anyone's cheerful, and that word cheerful, it doesn't, it, it implies happy, but it really means this. It means if anyone's encouraged or has been encouraged, or it means to take courage. So the idea is if you have been encouraged, if you've been encouraged by, and we're talking about things of the Lord here. He's not, he's not talking about if you've been encouraged because your football team won or your basketball team won. He's talking about if you've been encouraged spiritually, you should sing psalms or songs of praise. And that word actually implies or it could imply with instruments as well, with or without instruments. So if you're encouraged this morning, and here's the thing, each one of these things we're going to address, you might have come in here this morning and go, you know what, I'm suffering. There's some things been going on in my life and I'm suffering. Then James says, pray. Or you might have come in here this morning going, you know, I feel pretty good. It's cold, brisk morning. House is warm. Got a fire going. It should be nice and warm when I get home. Can't wait for this guy to quit talking so I can get back in my easy chair. Here, well, sing songs of praise. There's 150 of them in the book of Psalms. You can pick one. There's, song, there's a psalm for every occasion. But the idea is I'm going to praise the Lord because I'm encouraged. Now, I also kind of see a pattern. Suffering, prayer, encouraged, praise. Suffering, prayer, encouraged, praise. Suffering, prayer, encouraged, praise. Does, can you see how that works? If I feel like I'm suffering for something, I go to prayer. Prayer reminds me, part of my prayer, always in prayer, is I want to praise the Lord. When I praise the Lord, it reminds me of who He is. It reminds me of how great He is. There's no one higher than Him. He is the great I am. He is above my problem that I'm suffering with. He's above, he's above my ailment. He's above everything. And then it reminds me, once I, once I begin to pray, it brings me back to praise. There's kind of a circle there. Suffering, prayer, encouraged, praise. And we should be living that in our life. Now, he says in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? And that word means sick. It means to be incapacitated, mental, spiritual, or emotional. It means, are you sick? Are you not feeling well? Is there something wrong with you? Are, are you sick? Is there, it, it could be something minor. It could be something major. It's just, you know, is, it, is, are you sick? And notice what it says. Let 
him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Let him call for the elders of the church. That's the first thing. If you're sick, now notice whose responsibility it is to call for the elders of the church. It's the sick person's responsibility, right? Let him, that's the person who's sick, call for the elders of the church. Because from time, and, I, and I point that out because from time to time people will say, well, I was sick and you didn't come over and pray for me. Well, it's your responsibility to, if, if you want me or some of the guys from the church to come over and pray with you or after service to pray with you, come, come let me know. Come let me know. It's, it's your responsibility to say, hey, listen, I've been sick and you know, I thought it was a regular cold. I thought it would go away. Or, or maybe you've been diagnosed with, some, with cancer or something serious. I, I, want, I, want, I want prayer. Well, ask for it. That's what, that's what James is saying. If you're sick, let him or her call for the elders. And notice the word elders there is what? It's plural. It's plural. Don't call for just one person. Call for the elders and let them pray over you. Why does James, why does James make it a point, and I think he does make it a point to put elders there. I think that James wants us, if we're sick, to call to the leaders of the church, call to the elders, have them pray for over us, but I think he also makes it a point so it's not just one person praying. Not just one person. Why? Is it because more prayers matter? No, I think he's protecting the person that's praying. If a couple of guys get together after service and you say, I'm sick, will you pray for me? And, and we anoint you with oil and, and we pray for you and you get healed. You get healed miraculously. Well, if there's two guys praying for you, whose prayer was it that healed you? Well, if there's only one, it might, if it was just me, it might, I might, might go to my head, you know what I mean? I might start thinking I got that, that special gift and I can start a book ministry and I can start traveling and take it on the road. And I could be on TV pretty soon and you could be sending your seeds of faith and I could send you a hanky and you could get healed. I don't think James ever wanted, wanted that to happen. I think James is saying, listen, let more than one person pray for you. Let more than one person pray for you. Not only because it, 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 it's, it's powerful, as we're going to read, it also the person that's praying isn't getting the glory. If more than one person is praying for you and you get healed, what do you say? Praise the Lord. Praise God. Not praise Rob or Jason or whoever's praying for you. Don't ever praise the person who's... Who, 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 that's just, a man is just the instrument by which God works through. Now, if you've been around in different sort of church circles, you've seen this lived out. You've seen it worked out where... Well, somebody might claim, I have the gift of healing. I've got the gift of healing. That's the gift that I have. Understand something? That's a very, very difficult thing to me. I think that would be the hard, if, if I had the power to heal somebody, and every time I prayed for them, they got healed miraculously, there wouldn't be any empty seats here. People would be standing outside, in the cold weather, waiting for their turn. They'd be waiting. So I think that is one of the hardest things because I think that goes, I think when God uses a man that way, it goes to his head very, it can go to his head very, very quickly. And he can find himself starting a, a healing ministry and starting to take his show on the road and starting to do these things. But the truth is, it's not the man at all. God might pray through me and heal somebody this week, and that might not happen for years, ago, years later. 
It's all up to God. It's not up to the man. It's not up to the, it, it's, it's, it, we, we can never lose sight of that. He says clearly, let them pray. Now he says over them, or which means that the, word, the Greek word there is epi, which means upon them or on them. Let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Pray over them. I think that implies laying hands on somebody. I think when somebody's sick and they say, hey, listen, I need some prayer, I can anoint them with oil. I can lay my hands on them and pray for their healing. And now, I think it's interesting, too, because laying on of hands is one of those things that, well, if you come from a very conservative church background, you go, oh, here we go, we're going to start all this craziness. You know, no, that's not necessarily the case at all. It's very scriptural, it's very biblical to lay your hands on somebody when you pray for them. In other words, I'll give you a couple of examples. In Acts chapter 13, verse 3, they were fasting and they were praying and they laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas before, and prayed for them before they sent them out on their missionary journey. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said they'd lay hands on the sick and they would be healed. In Acts chapter 28, verse 8, Paul laid his hands on Publius, who was sick, and he prayed for him. There's three examples, but there's more throughout the scripture where somebody is sick and they're laying on their hands. Before somebody's sent out, they're laying on their hands. Well, what does that mean? It just means simply that we touch somebody. We just put our hands upon somebody. And we pray for them. Well, what, 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 what? I don't know that the power comes from the touching. The power comes from the prayer. But it's the example that we've seen given to us in Scripture. All right, Rob, what's with the oil? What do you, it says, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, throughout the Scripture, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. But also, in the Scripture, oil is used medicinally. It's used for medicine. In, uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 34, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the story? The Samaritan man stopped and helped the guy that was hurt by the side of the road, and he anointed him with oil. He put oil on his wounds. So why do I say that to you? Because the oil here represents two things. It represents the Holy Spirit and you giving your life and you giving your illness over to the Lord, whatever it is. Lord, you're in control. But it also represents you maybe seeking the medical help that you need. You see, the Lord can heal miraculously or he can heal medicinally. Either way, it's God who heals. Don't make the mistake and think that when you get sick and you go to the doctor and he gives you a prescription that the doctor healed me. Some doctors might want you to think that way. But where did the healing really come from? Who created the body? God did. Who creates the body to heal itself? Well, God did. All right, well, who created the medicine? Who created the medicine? The big pharmaceutical company created the medicine. Well, who at the pharmaceutical company created the medicine? Their head scientist. Where'd their head scientist get his brain from? From God. It all, it all filters back to the Lord. The Lord's the one that gave whoever it is that created it the ability to do it. So why I say all that because I say this. There have been people who have refused medical help. They've refused medical help because they say the Lord's going to heal them. I would say to them, hey, the Lord's going to heal you, but he might use modern medicine to do it. Let's give him the glory either way. There's been parents who have gone to prison because they haven't got their children the help that they needed. That's stupid. If you're sick, pray. If the Lord heals you miraculously, great, give glory to him. If he doesn't, seek the doctor. Let the doctor help you. Let, you know, let, let modern medicine help you. But we've seen this abused in our culture. We've seen it abused over and over again, and I think it's something that we have to be careful of. James makes it clear. If anyone among you is sick, if you're weak, you're sick, you're incapacitated, 
mental, mentally, physically, emotionally, if you're sick, come to the elders of the church. Come to the leaders in the church and say, hey, I'm sick. Can you pray for me? Let the leaders anoint you with oil and let them pray for you. Because he says this in verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Now I have to tell you, before we go into explaining what that verse means, I have to tell you that it's taken out of context a lot. It's taken out of context in the sense where people will say, if you are sick, you don't have enough faith. You see, the Bible says the prayer of faith. So if you don't have enough faith, then you're not going to get healed. And they, I've seen this done, in, 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 never here, but in, in, never in Calvary chapels, but in other churches. And in, in in they're Christian churches, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. But I've seen this done where they put the lack of healing... In other words, they come, somebody comes forward, I need prayer, they pray, well, I didn't get healed. Well, then you don't have enough faith. Because the Bible says here, the a prayer of faith will save the sick. I've seen that done, and, and that's where we have to be careful, because if you search the Scriptures, and you know the Scriptures, you know, that's not always the case. Just because somebody is sick, it doesn't necessarily mean a lack of faith. You see, Jesus... Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes sin brings sickness. In, in John 5, 14, Jesus tells a man whom he had healed, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So sometimes sin in our life can bring illness upon us. Sin can bring bad choices, bad decisions, consequences that go with it. But, sin doesn't, but illness doesn't always mean sin. That's what we have to understand. Just because somebody's sick, it doesn't mean that they're doing something wrong. Or maybe you can remember Job. Job found himself sick, and what did his friends say? You must have sin in your life, Job. You must be doing something wrong. You must have been doing something wrong. It's all your fault, Job. And it wasn't Job's fault at all. And Job never got to read the book of Job until it was written. He lived it. We can read it and look back and go, whew, that was a tough one. But he lived it out. Also, sin is not always the reason for sickness. Remember the deaf man in John chapter 9, verse 3? The disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents? The implication was that he was deaf because either he had sinned or because his parents had sinned. And Jesus said this, neither but, the works of, neither but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus said he's not deaf because he sinned. He's not deaf because, he's, because his parents sinned. He's deaf because I'm about to heal him and I want the works of God to be seen through him. I want to show myself strong through him. I want to show myself mighty through him. That's why he's deaf. I'm, gonna, I'm going to heal him. And, he, and Jesus went on to heal him. You know, but so often we see this. We see this tied together. Prayer, faith. If I don't have faith, then I can't be healed. That's, can, I, can I just tell you that in verse 15 it says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Can I tell you that that word sick is not the same word as sick in verse 14? They're two different Greek words. They're two different Greek words. The word, the word for sick in uh, verse 15 is different. It's actually camno, and it means this. It means weak, weary, or worn out. It means weak, weary, or worn out. It's not the same sickness as somebody who's got, a, who, who's got cancer, or who's got bronchitis, or who's got a stomach ache, or who, who, you know, who have any one of our physical ailments. This word for sick, this word for sick, it means I'm weak, I'm weary, and I'm worn out. Do you see the difference? 
See, some of you may have come in this morning weak, weary, worn out. I'm worn out. I'm tired. I'm stressed out. I'm weak. I'm weary. Now, let's read it in context. And the prayer of faith, and that word faith means to trust or believe, will save the weary. And the Lord will raise him up. And the prayer of faith will save the weak. And the Lord will raise him up. And the prayer of faith will save those who are worn out. And the Lord will raise him up. It kind of puts a new shadow, casts a new light on that verse. You see, that he's not talking about, he's saying a prayer of faith. It doesn't say it has to be a whole prayer of a whole lot of faith. Just a prayer of faith will take that person who's weary and worn out. In other words, if that's you this morning, if you're weary and worn out, pray. And the Lord will raise you up. And that word for raise means to be awakened or arouse. Be awakened or arouse. If I'm worn out, I pray to the Lord and the Lord will strengthen me. The Lord will, will raise me. He'll awaken me. And do you see how that fits perfectly? It's not meant to be taken out of context and applied to the person who, who doesn't get their prayer answered. Because sometimes you can be sick and you can come forward. And this is most, more often than not, this is the case. You come forward and you say, hey, I need prayer. And we pray for you. And I say, well, let me know how it goes. And, and nothing happens. And you say, well, Rob, nothing happened. Does that mean, that, that, that must mean you didn't have enough faith. You say, I don't want it to be my faith. I want it to be your faith. So I'll tell you, you don't have enough faith. That's not right at all. Maybe God just chooses to leave you in that position because he's still working in your life. You see, we have to understand this perspective. When God's doing something in your life, even if you find yourself in a hard situation, even if you find yourself sick, even if you find yourself in, in physical pain, God is doing something with that. And God is far more concerned about your eternal position than he is about your comfort here on this earth. He's far more concerned about preparing you for eternity than he is making you comfortable here on this earth. He'd much rather have you ready to go in eternity than have you kicking your feet back here going, yeah, there's no problems. Because isn't it at the difficult times that we turn to God the most? Sometimes we forget about the Lord when things are going good. Ah, I, got it. I got this under control, Lord. I, I'm doing okay. I'm good. But when something starts to hurt, when you get the phone call from the doctor, when you realize, uh-oh, I, what do I do? I need prayer. And you start to call, that's when I need prayer. That's what draws us back to the Lord sometimes. He'll use these situations in our life. Now, he, ends, he says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The prayer of faith, that means a believer in Jesus, if you're praying to God, and that's who he's talking to here, if he has committed sins that have caused this weariness, this, this, this worn out feeling, this literally wasting away, if he has done that, he will be forgiven. And the word for forgiven literally means to be let loose, to be untied. Untied from, he'll, be, he'll be untied from the sins. He'll be, he'll be let loose from them. They'll no longer be in, he'll no longer be enslaved by them. He can receive that forgiveness. And then in verse 16, now he's going to talk to the person who's in sin. Verse 16, he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confess your trespasses. And that word literally means to slip, to fall, or error. Confess your slips, your falls, and your errors. Your sins. Now, this is another one. This is another one. All right, the Bible says confess your sins, so I think we're going to go around the room. Who wants to start? 
Luke, oh, no. You know what? I have seen that played out, and it doesn't usually happen in a church. It happens in a small group somewhere where somebody will say, hey, listen, let's, let, let, let's just spend some time confessing our sins. Let's, let's just confess our sins. You know, and it can be sort of a, a prideful thing, and you know, I want to draw out with everything, but I want to make it clear. And the word confess means to, to acknowledge a fact publicly. To acknowledge a fact publicly. Now, why is it James is telling us to acknowledge our sins publicly? So, we're going to follow what James wants to do this morning, so I'm going to pick somebody, and you're going to be first to stand up here. Kevin, you got the wireless microphone ready? You got it? Could you, you'd all leave. I would leave. I wouldn't want to do that. Let me tell you what he means. First of all, notice what he says. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be forgiven. Does it say forgiven there? No, what does it say? That you may be healed. Confess your sins that you may be healed. Forgiveness comes when you believe on Jesus Christ. But here's what happens. Here's how it works. If there's sin in your life, James says, listen, if you will find a brother, if you're a man, or a sister, if you're a woman, and if you will sit down with them and you'll say, listen, I need to share some things with you. I need some, I, I got some things I'm struggling with. I've got an, an attitude I'm struggling with. I've got whatever it is. And you will share that with them. Do you know what that does? That brings whatever it is you're struggling with out into the open. Sin loves darkness. Sin is darkness. It wants to stay hidden away because then it can be a secret sin. Then it's not addressed. Then it's just you and your sin. But James is saying, listen, if you'll find the person, if you'll find that person, and you'll say, listen, I need to confess something to you. I don't want your help. I want your prayers. Notice what it says. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. If there's a sin in your life and you are tired of it and you, and you don't want to deal with it anymore, you're ready to give it up, can I tell you the first, thing, first step you do is find somebody. Find a brother or sister in Christ. Number one, you can trust because you don't want the whole church to know about it. If otherwise, it'll be, you know, it'll, the whole church will find out about it. Find someone you trust and, say, and let them, sit them down and say, listen, there's something I have to confess to you. There's something I'm working through. The Lord, the Lord has, has doing something in my life and I, I just, I have to get this off my chest. The moment, if you've ever done that, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. The moment you do that, it's like you've been set free. You've been loosed from it. It's out in the open. It's no longer hidden. And then they, you guys pray together or the ladies pray together and you'll find yourself free from it. Not that you'll never be tempted by it again, but the burden that, it's, that, it, that it places on you is then lifted because it is no longer hidden. So when James says this, confess your sins, confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. That's the goal. The goal is healing. And the word for healing means to become well or to be restored. It means to become well or to be restored. Confess our sins that we may be healed. That's what we want to be healed from them. And he goes on to say, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word effective and the word fervent, there's only one word there in the Greek. There's not, there's not two words. That's added by our, by our translators. If you're, reading the, if you're reading the New King James like I am, it says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you're reading the ESV, it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The New, the New Living Translation says the earnest prayer 
of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It simply means this. It means put into action what you're doing. Put, take your prayer and do something with it. The, the word, it. It's the same word there between effective and fervent, and it means to be in action. It literally means to put one's capabilities into operation. Put it real simple for you. Prayer makes a difference. That's essentially what James is saying. Prayer makes a difference. If you don't think it makes a difference, find somebody who prays regularly. If you don't pray regularly, pray. Start. It'll make a difference in your life. It'll definitely make a difference. Now, he gives an example. He says, hey, look at verse 17. Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So look at Elijah. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. I don't think he just prayed twice there. I think he prayed throughout the entire time. It's back in 1 Kings uh, 17, 18, I believe, if you wanted to go read the story for yourself. But Elijah prays for rain, and then there has rain. There has rain. And and the rain comes as 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 a direct result of his prayer. If you find yourself suffering, he says, pray. If you're sick, go to the elders of the church, pray. If you're weary, the prayer of faith will raise you up. If you're in sin, confess it and pray. Do you get the under, you guys get in the common denominator here? It's pray, 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 pray. Like Elijah. Now, look at our last verse here. Brethren, if any among, anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Brothers, that's who he's writing to. Brothers, brothers. If anyone among you wanders, and that means to be deceived, to be led away, from the truth, which means you had the truth, you know the truth, but now you're kind of slipping away, you're starting to believe things that aren't true. If anyone among you wanders, someone turns and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Is it possible for a believer, a Christian, to wander from the truth? Absolutely. I'm not talking about losing their salvation. I'm just saying, is it possible to start believing things that aren't true? That's what the word means. It means I understand the gospel. I understand the things of the Lord, but I'm going to begin to, well, I'm getting a worldly perspective now. And I kind of believe this too. And I look to justify the two or bring the two together. And I, I can sort of wander from my faith. Sure you could. Well, what are we supposed to do? If we see somebody, a brother and a sister wandering, we're supposed to try to bring them back. We're supposed to try to, you know, encourage them. We're supposed to, you know, remind them of the truth that they know. <laughs> Maybe that's what the rushing wind in Acts sounded like. I think it was louder than that. All right. If we, have a, if we see somebody that's wandering, a believer, we've got to bring them back. We've got to bring them back because it's, it's, they, they can wander away. They can wander too far. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Do you know that has to be done in love? It can't be done in, uh, 
If, if there's no love in the heart of the person that's trying to turn the other person back, it's not going to work. It just won't come out that. It won't come out right. You'll, you'll, you'll come out as judgmental. You'll come out as you're condemning me. You're judging me. No, I'm just trying to turn you back to the truth. It has to be done in love. It has to be. Otherwise, it just doesn't work that, right, that way. But I also think it also has to be done in boldness. I don't think the Christian should be afraid. We, all, we, we live in a world we don't want to offend anybody, right? We want to be politically correct. We, want to, we, we don't want to say, we don't, I can, can I tell you, those of you that are part of our fellowship, that I, that I know if I see you wandering, I'm, you can expect me to tell you that you're wandering? Well, then I'll leave the church. I'd rather you leave the church and having me told you you're going in the wrong direction than me having said, oh, well, stay here. It's okay. You know, I'll hold your hand. You, you keep seeking. No, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that what I, what the direction you're going is wrong. I'm not going to allow my kids to run out in front of a car. I'm going to stop them. Right? That, that's, that's what we should do. That's the way we should be looking at our family. Is, and our, our, our church body is our family. We're not going to let somebody wander away. I, can I stop you from wandering ultimately? No, I can't stop you. But I can make an effort. And if I offend you during the effort, I'm sorry. I just want you to know that I love you and I care about you. I want, I want you to come back to the truth. Because I know where it can lead. And besides, Scripture tells us he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways gets an extra reward in heaven. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's what he's saying. 